I thought I would just say that here at the very beginning. This parable is a struggle. So what is a preacher to do when confronted with a parable like this? Well, this preacher was tempted to drown it in historical criticism. I thought I might tell you that this parable is told in both Matthew and Luke's Gospels. It's not told in Mark's Gospel. And because they both had access to it independently of each other, it is what scholars call the Q document. I would tell you, I thought, preparing this sermon, that Q stands for quella. It's a German word for source. This obviously has nothing to do at all with the parable at this point, but it does eat up time (laughs) and divert you from the story itself with all of its struggle. I thought I might tell you that all the hard things in this parable, the king's servants being killed by the original wedding guests, the king's rage causing him to keep the food warming while he sent soldiers to burn down their city, and the king's offense at the attire of the guest causing him to throw said guest into the outer darkness. These were all particular to Matthew's telling of the story only, not Luke's telling. So I thought I might suggest we'll just ignore those parts of the parable. Let's stick with Luke's nonviolent version. Just pass over the harsh stuff and get straight to the peace and love and, and joy. But I can hear some of you saying, we've got more than a few biblical scholars in here who take the word seriously, and I could hear some of you saying, isn't Matthew's voice important? We listen to him at other times and in other places. Why not here? Are we allowed to just pick and choose? So I thought I might try another approach thought we could just blame it all on the Jews. Are you okay with that? I mean, they're not here in the building. And this parable sets up very nicely to lay it all at their feet. Matthew's little church was tossed out of the synagogue. We know this. The, the Jews were the original invited guests. The prophets were the servants who went out into the streets um, and invited them that they and told, reminded them that they were guests and that the king, God, was waiting. The Jew, Jews ridiculed the prophets and killed some of them. So the king, read God, was so enraged, he sent the Roman army in 70 CE or 70 AD to destroy Jerusalem and burn down the temple, all of which had already happened by the time Matthew was writing his gospel. So the church, you and me, we are the newly invited guests for the celebration of the king's son, Jesus. So see, that's nice and tidy. The parable really has nothing to do with us. It's all about those bad Jews. But then again, I know how some of you are. And sooner or later you're going to think and then you're going to say, 
hey, wait a minute. Wasn't Jesus a Jew? Well, if you want to be picky about it, yes, he was. And then somebody is going to ask, and weren't all the disciples Jews? And most of the people in Matthew's church and most of the church at that time, wasn't Matthew a Jew? So it's not really about the Jews, but about the religious leaders at the time. You know, kind of like the clergy would be today. Kind of like you. You know, sometimes I wish we could go back to the time before the Reformation when lay people weren't allowed to read the Scripture (laughs) and interpret it for themselves. It made preaching, I assume, so much easier. And then there's always the timeless escape of preachers who are in a bind. You start quoting other people. Just fill the sermon up with Tom Long's thoughts about this and Fred Craddock's reflections on that and throw in some imagery from Barbara Brown Taylor and C.S. Lewis and maybe an Emily Dickinson poem or two and never really get around to letting anyone know what you personally think. It could work. So I scoured all of them looking for references to this text. I could find hardly any. It was as if the collective wisdom of the preaching community is only a fool would try to preach a parable like this. And so after pages and pages of writing and throwing away and deleting, Sunday was coming. And I was sitting before this difficult parable with the cursor blinking over a blank page, feeling every bit the fool. What makes this parable so uncomfortable is the fact that it is not ultimately addressing Matthew's church, at least not anymore, or the Jews, or the situation of post-70 A.D. Jerusalem. It may have at one time been addressing all of those. But today, on this morning, it is addressing me and you. The Church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. Parables are, are almost never about the other guy. Jesus didn't tell them in order to teach a history lesson. He told them to confront us with the radical, upside-down kingdom of God. They were told to transform They were told to cause the reader or the hearer to look intently at himself or herself. To listen to the ways we are being addressed by the kingdom of God and to be invited to enter in. This is what a parable does. The truth is, I do not like this parable because I hear myself being addressed in it. I see the ways that I make light of the invitation. Do you know what I mean? God sets the table of grace, but I have better things to do. I prefer to strive and get ahead. I count my accomplishments as the things that give my life ultimate meaning, not my baptism. I'm invited to come and party in a kingdom where all I have to do is 
bring, all I have to bring is my own brokenness. And I would prefer to sit in my comfortable home and eat my own cookie. A fine meal of pride, self-sufficiency, and ego. I ridicule the messengers of grace as unrealistic. I laugh at notions like peace, killing the message with cynicism. Does that sound familiar? Perhaps I make it into the party and I dine at the table of the king. But even there, surrounded by so much grace, my life does not reflect the grace that has been given to me. Ultimately, it's easy for us to read a parable like this and project it outward, away from ourselves, away from our church. Make it about Matthew. Make it about the Jews. Make it about all those people out there who reject the invitation to the kingdom. But at root, this parable is not about any of those things. In the end, the camera is focused not out there, but on that one man right at the end who makes it into the party, answers the invitation, but does not put on the clothing the party requires. The wedding garments in the first century were provided by the the host. All the guests would be expected to wear them, the wedding robe, as it was called. So it was not so much that this guest forgot to buy one or was too poor to buy one. No, it is that he refused to wear it. He refused to put it on. He was given the garment, and he laid it to the side. In baptism in the first century, those who went down into the water were given baptismal garments, the forerunners of the baptismal gowns and robes that we use today. The garments symbolized putting on Christ. We have died to self in baptism and we are raised with Christ. We turn away from the way of the world and walk in the way of Christ. As Paul noted, we clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and above all, he wrote, love. This parable is directed at those in the church who claim Christ in name, but who have not put on the way of Christ in action, in the way they live their lives. Their lives do not reflect compassion. Their hearts do not display kindness. They are prideful, arrogant, easily irritated. They do not love. The characteristics of the kingdom that Jesus laid out several chapters back in the Sermon on the Mount, turning the other cheek, giving the shirt off your back, going the extra mile, are not evident in their lives. And here is why the parable is so hard. I don't know that any of us can say that we always display these qualities. At some point or other, the host of the party could come through the doors of First Presbyterian Church 
and rightly say of me, your pastor, how did you get in here without the proper clothing? And I suspect that the same could be said of you. Putting on Christ day in and day out, this is not easy. This is not cheap grace. It is a day-by-day, hour-by-hour way of being in the world. Which is why I think these parables are read most responsibly and wisely together in community. This is a parable for all of us who take on the name of Christ. We need each other to put Christ on. We need one another to do the hard work of self-examination this parable invites. We need the mutual accountability of the community of faith. We do not walk alone. The God who invited us to the party is full of grace. Even when we fail, I believe God reaches out to us in whatever dark place we may have gone and issues the invitation again and again and again. Come to the wedding banquet. Come to the table. Your failures do not define you. My grace defines you. You are baptized, you are beloved, put on Christ, walk in his way. We recently celebrated my brother Ryan's marriage uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. Because of the shared Hispanic heritage both our family and his wife Louisa's family have, all the brothers were asked to wear a special shirt they, I, I forget what they're called, but they have a special design on the front. They're made of fine fabric, and they're meant to be worn untucked. And I did not want to wear one. I could not find one that didn't make me look fat. I wish I could come up with a, a less vain, more high-minded reason, but that was it. So I announced to my family that I would not be wearing the shirt. But as the day of the party got closer, I began to imagine what this was going to be like and look like. All the brothers dressed in the celebratory shirt, all but me. Why aren't you wearing the shirt? I could imagine someone asking, and me looking back and saying, it makes me look fat. And someone could then have rightly said, So your pride, your pride has kept you from celebrating fully with your brother. Your ego is keeping you from being fully present. So after a few of these internal conversations, I got the shirt. And I looked fat in every photograph. And when the celebration was over, I did not care. Because the point of the shirt was not the shirt, but what it represented. It's still a hard parable for us, this one. And I think that's a good thing in the end. 
that it makes us a little uncomfortable, a little self-aware, that's a good thing. May it push us or pull us together to examine what we're wearing and may it invite us to put on again and again Christ himself for this walk. Amen.